This Christmas season, David Jeremiah and Turning Point Productions present Why the Nativity, a docudrama film that will take you on a thought-provoking journey surrounding the most pivotal moment in human history, the birth of Jesus Christ. Experience the sights and sounds of that first Christmas as Dr. Jeremiah provides a fascinating presentation of biblical history paired with dramatic reenactments. Watch Why the Nativity completely free and find it everywhere it is available by going to whythenativity.org. That's whythenativity.org. God with us. Just three little words from Matthew's account of the Nativity story. But those three words radically changed the course of human history. Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah looks more deeply into the meaning of God with us and the impact of the Creator becoming human in the person of Jesus. Listen as David shares the conclusion of his message, Why Call Him Emmanuel? Well, you know, in the Bible, we are told that God wants us to be with Him. He says that He's gone to prepare a place for us so that one day He can come and receive us unto Himself, that where He is, there we may be also. So here's what you need to remember. Almighty God sent His Son to be with us so that one day we could be with Him. That's how the gospel works. He came down here to deal with the sin problem that was a part of our human culture. Due to what happened in the Garden of Eden, the sin DNA has been passed on from generation to generation. And sin is is not possible in heaven because heaven is a pure place. So God sent his son to this world to take upon himself in his infinite death the sin of the world. And he offers to those of us who will hear and listen and believe that if we accept him and what he did on the cross for us, we can be with God forever. Because God has come to be with us, we can be with God someday, forever. Is God with you? Are you a Christian? Have you accepted him? Well, as you listen to today's program, as we continue our discussion of why the nativity, I hope you will think seriously about your own relationship with the Lord. During the month of December, we're making available our very beautiful devotional book that we produce every year for our family of listeners and viewers. Moments with God is 392 pages of devotional material housed in a soft leather um, book that is just beautiful. Uh, Devotional readings for each day in the coming year, scripture reference that can correlate to each of the devotionals, and you can have this for a gift of any size during the month of December to Turning Point. When you ask for this resource, we'll send it to you right away. And let me encourage you, this is a great time for you to remember Turning Point in your giving. This is how we sustain this ministry, through the free will gifts and offerings of our listeners and viewers. So thank you ahead of time for what you do. Make this year-end gift a very special one, if you can, to help us face the new year and all of its opportunities with excitement in our hearts. Okay, well, let's just go back to where we left off, and here's one more lesson on why we call him Emmanuel. I want to read with you a scripture. I want to read it first the way we would normally read it, and then I want to read it the way I believe it should be read. This is what the scripture says. For he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you, so we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. Now listen, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you so that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear 
What can man do to me? What the Lord has said is so that we can say what God has said about himself and his presence with us. He has said to us so that you and I may be able to say, I don't have to be afraid. What can man do to me? I have the Lord with me. The Lord is with me. Psalm 27 is almost exactly the same way. Psalm 27, 1 says, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Throughout the scriptures, this concept is repeated over and over again. Psalm 118, verse 6 says, The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Isaiah 43 says, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, neither shall the flame scorch you. Here is the truth of Emmanuel brought down to the everyday experience of each one of us. When we're in difficult circumstances, we are never there alone. He is with us. He has promised that a part of his coming to be one of us is that he might be with us in the midst of all of our challenges. In the Christmas rush, in the disappointment of the year-end bonus, in the preparation for the new year, in all of the things that touch our lives, he is there. He is there with us. One of the stories that came out of 9-11 was the story of the cross. On a September morning in 2001, as he was searching for bodies amid the wreckage of the Twin Towers, Frank Cilicia stumbled across a 22-foot-tall steel beam cross. The collapse of Tower 1 on Building 6 had created a chamber in the clutter, and through the dusty sunrise, Frank spotted this cross. No winch had hoisted it. No cement had secured it. The iron beams stood independent of human help. Several days later, engineers realized the beams of the large cross came from two different buildings. When one crashed into another, the two girders bonded into one, forged by the fire. And when people would ask, where is God at 9-11? Where is the Almighty in the midst of all of the rubble? Frank and his friends would point and say, The cross is in the midst of the crisis. He is always there. Max Licato once wrote, God gets into things, doesn't he? He gets into red seas and big fish and lion's dens and furnaces. God gets into bankrupt businesses and jail cells and Judean weddings and funerals and Galilean tempests. Look and you will find what everyone from Moses to Martha has discovered God in the middle of your storms. And one of the blessings of knowing that God is with us is that he is with us to help us in the difficult circumstances of life. I'm sure I speak to some today who are in circumstances like that right now. Maybe you have been feeling particularly alone during this season, wondering if you are going to be left to carry this all by yourself. I promise you, if you know the one of whom I am speaking You are not alone, nor were you ever alone, nor will you ever be alone. He has promised to be with you. Secondly, because God is with us, 
we can expect the direct answers to our prayers. There is a marvelous passage of Scripture, once again in the book of Hebrews, where we are told about the lifestyle of this one who came to be one of us. I want to read this to you, and I think you will immediately make the connection. Seeing then that we have a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our confession, for we do not have a high priest who cannot sympathize with our weaknesses, but was in all points tested or tempted as we are, yet without sin. What the writer of Hebrews has said is this, that our high priest, the Lord Jesus, this one who has come to be with us, has a vast storehouse of experience that encompasses every experience that you and I would ever have. He writes about the fact that he has been tested in every kind of weakness that is known to man apart from having sinned. And that whatever it is that you experience, whatever I experience, whatever difficulty I go through, I have a high priest, I have an Emmanuel who has been there and done that. And when I go to him, he totally understands. Isn't it wonderful to talk to somebody who understands? Somebody who's been there, who's been through it. And the Bible tells us in this passage of Scripture that this one who has come to be with us is one who has walked where we have walked, experienced what we have experienced, and every sorrow and agony, every disappointment that we have known, the Son of God knew while he was on this earth. And having said all of that, the writer of Hebrews makes this point. Here is the takeaway. Because that is true, notice the rest of the verse. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy to help in the time of need. Oh, wow, what a promise. This one who has known all that we are knowing, all the experience all of the hurt, all of the sorrow, all the disappointment. This one has invited us to come. Notice, to come boldly. Just come and blurt it all out. Say, Lord, you've been there, you've experienced it. Let me tell you what I feel. What's happening in my heart right now? Lord God, hear my prayer. And the Bible tells us because of what he has experienced as our high priest he is able to sympathize, to identify with our weaknesses. Because God is with us, we can face the difficult circumstances in our life. We can find direct answers to our prayers. But here's one that may be particularly for me and others like me who do the kind of thing that I do. But in essence, all of us here in some way or another, are involved in some sort of ministry touching the lives of others. But the third point is this. Because God is with us, we can embrace the demanding challenges of ministry. I made a startling discovery when I was studying the Old Testament some time ago. It probably won't surprise any of you to know what I discovered. And that is that everybody that God wanted to do something difficult didn't want to do it. <laughs> Every time God went to somebody and said, this is what I want you to do, they had a hundred reasons why they weren't the right person for the job. Sound familiar? <laughs> and most of the time, behind their 
reticence to respond was fear. The thought that they weren't able to do it. That they couldn't accomplish it. Think of Moses. (laughs) One day God came to Moses and he said, you know, these four grumbling, complaining, miserably unhappy Jewish people here in Egypt, four million, (laughs) I want you to lead them out. You want me to do what? (laughs) I want you to be the leader and take them out of Egypt to the promised land. And if you know the story, you've read it. Moses had his own little paradigm of why he shouldn't be the person. But I want you to remember what God said to him in Exodus 4.12. These are the words of the Lord. Now therefore go and I will be with your mouth and teach you what you shall say. I couldn't help but throw in. Don't you wish some people you know would take this seriously and let God be with their mouth? I mean, this is something we should probably just put in the footnotes of our message for today. God said, Moses, I know you don't consider yourself to be an orator, that you're slow of speech, and you don't think you can stand in front of this horde of people and lead them. But Moses, don't worry about it, because I will be with your mouth, and I'll tell you what to say. Joshua had a similar problem. He was supposed to take the children of Israel into the promised land and help them settle the land of Canaan. And just like Moses, he was afraid. One day the Lord God said to Joshua in the first chapter of Joshua, Have not I commanded you, be strong and of a good courage. Don't be afraid, Joshua. Don't be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. When Jeremiah the prophet was commissioned to go to a stubborn people with the message of judgment and was told in advance of his going that, number one, they wouldn't listen to anything he had to say, and if by accident they happened to hear any of it, they wouldn't do it. And obviously Jeremiah wasn't too excited about that assignment. God said to Jeremiah, wait a minute, Jeremiah 1.8, do not be afraid of their faces, for I am with you to deliver you, says the Lord. And to the disciples in us, the Lord comes with this incredible challenge to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, baptizing them and teaching them everything the Lord has taught us and teaching them to observe it. And we stand in awe of such an assignment that is so overwhelming to us, and then we hear these words from the Lord, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. Can you imagine our friends, Al and Sue Graham, being called to go to a tribe of Indians to teach them the word of God and discovering that they did not even have a language, that they had no written language of any kind whatsoever. And I can hear Al praying and saying, Lord God, I'm happy to teach these people how to read the Bible, but they don't have any language. And God said, Al, that's why I'm sending you there. I want you to write their language. You want me to make up their written language? How are they going to read the Bible, Al, if they don't have a language? All right. I'll do it. And for 50 years, 
This man and his sweet wife went to that group of people and starting with no written language at all, they scratched out words and letters and sentences until finally they had a coherent language. And then using the language that God had helped them create, they translated the New Testament into the Satir language. And I could hear Al say, God, I can't do this. And God said, no, that's all right. I'll go with you. I'll help you. One of the lessons I learned early in my life was this. God's commandments are always God's enablements. If God calls you to do it, he'll help you to do it. It is inconceivable that God would call you to do something and then leave you helpless to accomplish it. And when God called this couple to the Satir Indians to translate the scripture and to write the language, they were not brilliant translators. They were just humble people who were ready to accept God's plan and understood that they weren't ever going to be alone, that God would be with them and he would help them. That's what Emmanuel does. He comes alongside of us when we're threatened by the things we know God wants us to do. And he stays with it until it's done. So that's Emmanuel, God with us, helping us in our difficult circumstances, answering our direct prayers because of what he's experienced, and equipping us for difficult things that we would never be able to do without him. I began with a story And I'm going to take the literary license to end with one as well. For this, like the first story, helps us comprehend in a better way what it means that God has become one of us. Danish philosopher Soren Kierkegaard told this parable to explain why God communicated his love to us the way that he did. Here is his story. Imagine there was a king who loved a humble maiden. She had no royal pedigree, no education, no standing in the court. She dressed in rags. She lived in a hovel. She led the ragged life of a peasant. But for reasons no one could ever quite figure out, the king fell in love with this girl in the way that kings sometimes do. Why he should love her is beyond explaining, but love her he did. And he could not stop loving her. And then there awoke in the heart of the king an anxious thought. How was he to reveal his love to this girl? How could he bridge the chasm that separated the two of them? His advisors, of course, would tell him to simply command her to be his queen. For he was a man of immense power Every statesman feared his wrath. Every foreign power trembled before him. Every courtier groveled in the dust at the king's voice. Why, she would have no power to resist. She would have to become his queen. She would owe him an eternal debt of gratitude. But power, even unlimited power, cannot command love. I mean, he could force her body to be present in his palace, but he could not force love for him to be present in her heart. He might be able to gain her obedience this way, but coerced submission is not what he wanted. He longed for intimacy of heart and oneness of spirit, 
And all the power in the world cannot unlock the door to the human heart. It must be open from the inside. His advisors might suggest that the king give up this love, give his heart to a more worthy woman, but this the king will not, cannot do. The king himself could try to bridge the chasm between them by elevating her to his position. He could shower her with gifts, dress her in purple and silk, have her crowned the queen. But if he brought her to his palace, if he radiated the sun of his magnificence over her, if she saw all the wealth and power and pomp of his greatness, she would be overwhelmed. How would he know if she loved him for himself or for all that he had given her? How could she know that he loved her and would love her still, even if she had remained only a humble peasant? Would she be able to summon confidence enough never to remember what the king wished only to forget? That he was the king and she had been a humble maiden? Every other alternative came to nothing. There was only one way. So one day, the king rose left his throne, removed his crown, relinquished his scepter, laid aside his royal robes, took upon himself the life of a peasant. He dressed in rags. He scratched out a living in the dirt and groveled for food and dwelt in a hovel. He did not just take on the outward appearance of a servant. It became his actual life, his nature, his burden. He became as ragged as the one he loved so that She could be united to him forever. It was the only way. His raggedness became the very signature of his presence. And this shall be a sign to you. You shall find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He had no form of majesty that we should look at him, nothing in appearance that we should desire him. The God who at the last was mocked with and then stripped of a purple robe and crucified wearing a crown of thorns, this is the ragged God, this is Emmanuel. And this is what God did to demonstrate his love to you and you and you and to me. He could not get that message across from where he was and where we were. The chasm was too great. How does the creator of the universe communicate to his creature that he loves him, that he loves her? Ah, he said, this is what I will do. I will go down to where they are and become one of them. I will take off the robes of deity and put upon myself the clothing of humanity. And as the God-man, I will give myself for them on the cross. Then they will know that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Amen. Amen. 
Everywhere you look in the story of Christmas is the gospel. And it's hard to preach one message on Christmas without John 3.16 because it's the most wonderful Christmas passage in the Bible. And it's the gospel is clearly and concisely put as you will ever find it. Well, tomorrow we're going to continue our discussion of the whys of nativity. And we're going to talk about this. Why call him Savior? From Luke 2.11, one of the seminal passages on Christmas, we're going to explore the name that was given to him, Savior. He will be your Savior. I want to remind you that uh, Why the Nativity, which is the story of Christmas in cinematography, a movie that we've spent three years producing, this one hour and 20 minute production is now available on YouTube and you can find out other ways to watch it by going to whythenativity.org. There you will see all the details of this film and opportunities for you to participate in the distribution of it. Our hope is to tell this story widely during this Christmas season. Thank you so much for joining us. Be sure to be here tomorrow. We'll see you next time. Today's message originated from Shadow Mountain Community Church, where Dr. David Jeremiah is senior pastor. How is God blessing you through this ministry? Write and tell us at Turning Point for God of Canada, P.O. Box 18098, Delta, B.C., V4L2M4. Visit our website at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call 800-946-4300. Ask for your copy of David's 365-day devotional for 2023, Moments with God. It's a great tool for daily inspiration in the year ahead, and it's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also purchase the Jeremiah Study Bible in the English Standard, New International, and New King James Versions. Visit davidjeremiah.ca slash radio for details. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, Why the Nativity? Here on Turning Point with Dr. David Jeremiah. is filled with moments and to help encourage powerful moments with the Lord each and every day Dr. David Jeremiah has written a new book called Moments with God this beautiful year-long devotional makes a wonderful companion to your personal Bible study when you give a generous year-end gift of $120 or more to Turning Point you'll receive a Moments with God devotional four-pack one for you and three to share donate online at davidjeremiah.ca that's davidjeremiah.ca In all we do each day, Dr. David Jeremiah and Turning Point work to make a global impact for the kingdom of God. But we can't do it alone. That's where Bible Strong Partners come in. These loyal monthly supporters form the foundation of Turning Point, allowing Dr. Jeremiah to teach the whole counsel of God. Partnering with Turning Point enables you to share in the eternal impact of this ministry, leading people to Christ through our media and printed resources, multiplying Bible teaching broadcasts, presenting the gospel around the globe, and strengthening the saints. In appreciation for your partnership, Turning Point wants to provide you with exclusive monthly resources and study guides, member-only communications, an on-demand library of study content, and so much more. Are you ready to see what the Lord will do? Let's expect to change the world together. Go to davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong to become a BibleStrong partner today. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash BibleStrong. The late Pastor Bruce Larson, while at a men's retreat, asked a truck driver what difference Christ had made in his life. And the truck driver responded with a concrete example. He said, 
When someone is tailgating my truck on the road, I no longer swerve onto the shoulder of the road to kick up gravel into their car. Every follower of Christ should be able to do the same thing. Cite specific ways the love of Christ has made a difference in their life. After all, the Bible says that in Christ we are a new creation, and that newness should be evident to ourselves and to others. This is David Jeremiah, encouraging you to get on the road to new life. Discover God's life-changing love on Route 66. Route 66, driving the word home. Log on to Route66life.com. Start your journey home today.